I'm Dave DeWitt. This is Tested from WUNC, a look at what the day's challenges tell us about where we are, what we believe, and who we want to be in North Carolina and the South. Today, the fall and the front lines. What will happen in the fall? It's a question that's been burning hot in the minds of parents, teachers, and students since schools were closed in March. On Tuesday afternoon, Governor Roy Cooper gave an answer. Today we announced that North Carolina schools will be open for both in-person and remote learning with key safety precautions to protect the health of our students, teachers, staff, and families. This is the plan B that we ask schools to prepare. It's a measured, balanced approach that will allow children to attend but provide important safety protocols like fewer children in the classroom, social distancing, face coverings, cleaning, and more. As part of this plan, schools are required to provide virtual learning for any student who chooses it. Meanwhile, school districts will have the option to do all remote learning instead of in-person instruction. Cooper delayed this announcement, hoping the state's COVID-19 metrics would improve. They have not. Later in the show, we'll hear more on the governor's decision about fall semester, but let's start on the front lines of the healthcare system, where doctors, nurses, and hospital staff have been running a medical marathon for months. When this all started, I, you know, you had multiple days where you were just waking up and being like, is this a dream? Is this just the craziest thing ever? And um, my one good friend of mine, who's a cardiologist at Duke, uh, we spoke and, and I was like, you know, I just had to wake up one day and be like, you have to stop waking up like this. This is going to be the new normal for the time we have moving forward and uh, have to stop being surprised by it. Dr. Brian Burroughs is the medical director and chair of the emergency department at Duke Regional Hospital. He says Duke Regional has done a good job making sure its staff doesn't get overwhelmed. But anxiety during a pandemic is unavoidable, even for medical professionals. Yes, there's the fear. Uh, and we've had fear since day one of, you know, taking this home with us to our family members. We all have, you know, extended families to some sort that someone has some medical condition that puts them at a very high risk. Uh, and I think that as we start hearing about the anecdotal evidence of, you know, you have younger people who are are definitely contracting this disease and dying from it. It, it does have those spikes of fear because it's true. It's definitely true. Um, I think we all know at least one or two people who have been affected by this. Um, and it's, it's um, I think, just the fear that we're all trying to uh, kind of come to grips with, if that makes sense. And uh, I think Duke has done a great job of helping us, um, you know, be realistic, um, understanding that that there is true fear. And then there's also fear that you, you can't be worrying yourself about. Um, you know, you have to keep yourself safe. Uh, we've done a great job of having enough PPE for our providers and nurses. There's good procedures in place. And I know there's been a lot of, you know, sometimes people are like, well, this is back and forth with what the recommendations were. But I think the biggest recommendation is, is just common sense, taking care of yourself, making sure you're taking the time to, we, we basically don gowns and uh, N95s or respirators, and taking the time to take care of the patients and making sure that you um, show them the respect. And then taking the time afterwards to what we call doff the uh, gown and stuff. Um, so I think that we're doing as well as can be expected. What I keep saying is we have a great purpose. And uh, through this whole thing, I think that's the best thing you can have is just find a purpose and you know make yourself very useful, hopefully, uh, through it. So I think it's helped us a lot. 
As it relates to COVID, how have the weeks in the last couple of weeks changed from maybe, you know, April, mid-March? Um, are you still kind of going through the same kinds of things or, or has it changed somewhat? Yeah, good question. Um, it has changed somewhat. The first couple of weeks were this absolute deluge of planning um, and trying to not have what happened, I guess, to the hospitals uh, in other parts of the country that got overwhelmed happen to us. And we kind of really uh, took a stance and stopped doing elective procedures moved forward with trying to minimize things that didn't have to happen to uh, maximize our physical capacity for patients in the area uh, to make sure that we can take care of Durham and the surrounding area. So initially, we were really ramping up logistically, trying to find out what's the best way to do things. So we were, you know, it's, it was a weird kind of feeling of like, you know, fear, but also a little bit of excitement in the sense that you just really are going to be able to take care of people and help them out. Uh, there's a tons of amazing response from other providers. You know, I'm in the emergency department, but uh, I mean, between the cardiologists, the surgeons, the urologists, even, you know, the nephrologists all saying that they want to, how can they help? How can we help you guys? Um, so I think that if you look at the positives of what came out in the beginning, it was very stressful, but also uh, amazing to see the teamwork that was displayed as we kind of prepared for this uh, possible kind of like tsunami of patients, which... I think that the community did a great job at uh, minimizing that surge, as you will. In, in terms of treating COVID, um, as you sort of sit here in mid-July, if you could go back in time and, and, and talk to yourself a few months ago, mid-March, mid-April, and tell yourself this is the way it's going to progress or treating this is going to help or it's not going to help, what would you tell yourself back then? Um, you know, I think it's still really uh, not necessarily a, a huge, I was just reading through an article, it was just published in JAMA. Um, there's not great treatment options still, you know, dexamethasone is a big one. Trying to actually keep people off a ventilator longer is what we would do now versus getting them on a ventilator quickly initially. I wouldn't say that there's been necessarily anyone that has been detrimentally affected by anything we've done differently. I think the biggest thing is I would have told myself back then is, you know, there was a reason we uh, shut down schools. There was a reason that we shut things down. Uh, it was to minimize the spread. And, you know, as much as you can take care of people in the hospital, the biggest thing we can do to change the trajectory of this illness is how we take care of ourselves outside the hospital and how we care about one another. Um, so I think that, weirdly enough, as much as everyone was like gung-ho to shut things down initially, I think that just going back and telling myself that just stay steadfast, that will probably save more both in the economy side as well as the life side uh, and, and morbidity and mortality side if we just take our time and um, really try to decrease the spread to where we can actually trace it, which to the point right now, we can't really trace it, I would say, because of how fast it's spreading. After spending all day, all week in the hospital or months of you, as you have, um, and, and sort of going through and, and treating all these folks, you then obviously go out into the world and go to the grocery store like the rest of us and all those things. And, and you probably come across people who aren't wearing masks or maybe not social distancing. Um, what goes through your mind if you, if, and when you encounter folks in the world doing that? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question, you know, because you obviously see things on social media nonstop about, you know, how could you possibly not wear a mask? You know, it's the easiest thing ever. Um, mm -hmm. As an ER physician, we treat everybody. I don't care if you're one day old, 115, you know, doesn't matter where you're from, what color you are, we, we love everybody. If you don't wear a mask, I'm going to be there to take care of you. Um, I think that I always just get a little bit perplexed that 
what we would do or what we would want someone to do for us, we wouldn't necessarily maybe do for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and just having a really good, hopefully through this, we can get a big dose of empathy that we can really just try to do our best to walk in someone else's shoes and see how they see things. Because, um, you know, I make sure to wear a mask every day because I realize that I'm the most, one of the most exposed people to coronavirus, let alone the nurses and stuff and the intensive care unit at our hospital. Um, I want to just make sure that I'm doing my part, obviously, but I try not to project my views on other people because we're all coming from different walks of life. We all have different ways of thinking. But um, but yes, I think that in its simplest form, wearing a mask is, is pretty um, pretty easy. But like I said, we're here to take care of everybody. Um, we, we want to show that we love anybody no, no matter what they're doing. Dr. Brian Burroughs is the medical director and the chair of the emergency department at Duke Regional Hospital. Hang tight. More in a moment. Tested is a production of North Carolina Public Radio WUNC. And this is a good time to say thanks to everyone who supports WUNC. Whether you're an individual donor or a business, we can't say thank you enough for providing us with the resources and opportunity to serve the state of North Carolina with up-to-the-minute news and information. Everyone at WUNC is working around the clock to do just that at this unique and perilous moment in our history. And we couldn't manage without your help. So thanks, and if you are able, please go to WUNC.org if you want to donate for the first time or to maybe increase your support. Closing school doors in March was, in retrospect, not a difficult decision. The first wave of the global pandemic upended every aspect of society, especially where people gather. Now, state officials must make a difficult decision with deep and broad impacts on the more than 100 school districts and a million and a half or so students across North Carolina. There are no decisions more important than the ones about our children and our schools. This announcement today is the result of careful, collaborative, and painstaking work. As with many choices during this pandemic, we're working with the best information and science that we have today. We know there will always be some risk with in-person learning, and we're doing a lot to reduce that risk. But just because schools are allowed to open with some face-to-face instruction doesn't mean they will all have the same plan. Each school district is faced with enormously difficult decisions about online instruction, transportation, school lunches, and every district must figure out what's the best way forward for their students, families, and employees. I strongly encourage all superintendents and principals to meet with and listen to teachers and staff as they shape their plans. I know this will be challenging work for them, but I have faith in North Carolina's teachers. If you're a parent, a schedule is everything. In my house, we have a large whiteboard calendar in the most prominent place in our kitchen. Before the pandemic, it was intricate, busy, and color-coded for each of my three kids. It listed out all of their school and co-curricular activities day by hectic day, and it allowed us to at least somewhat keep up with it all. Fast forward to midsummer, and the calendar is all but blank. 
but the importance of a schedule persists, which is why we and every family are anxious to know what is going to happen in our school district and our school this fall. You hear the understandable stress as parents ask themselves, you know, especially those who are working parents, can I take off the next two weeks from work to watch my child as they're quarantining at home? And if not, can I find a caregiver, a babysitter, a nanny, a grandparent who'd be willing to watch my COVID-19 exposed child? Dr. Charlene Wong is an assistant professor of pediatrics at Duke University. She says the stress on families is real, and every family needs to consider a lot of changing and unknown factors about how schools should look for their child this fall. At the top of that list, what's the health risk, short and long-term? We need to think both about the risk of infection, but also the potential benefits and what's developmentally appropriate for an elementary school student versus a high school student. Developmentally, we think that maybe middle schoolers and high schoolers will be able to wear masks. That is probably not gonna be developmentally appropriate or feasible for our younger children. And so some of the, what we call mitigation strategies or strategies to reduce the spread of the virus in schools are gonna look different in elementary versus middle and high schools. Also thinking about the importance of education and the COVID slide that we've already seen from the last missed semester. High schoolers are gonna be more able to remote learn than elementary school students. Is it an ideal way for them to learn? Probably not for most high school students, but they are at least better equipped developmentally to do that than a kindergartner, for example. Dr. Wong recognizes there's no easy answer, and as a parent herself, she's had to navigate that lingering question of when and how are my kids going to get their education. I have two children, um, one who's in elementary school and one who is in daycare. We in our family, like so many families, are making a very individual decision, weighing a lot of different trade-offs regarding what's the risk of infection, how important is it that our children who are younger have the social-emotional development. Um, At their ages, it is really quite inappropriate, in my opinion, to try to distance learn, for example, kindergarten. And so we are planning to send our child who's in elementary school back to school in person if that's an available option. Um, And we are working really creatively with our community in our neighborhood. We've been, all all of us who are parents and working parents have been talking with each other about how we can support each other, how we might create clusters where we have caregivers and parents who share the responsibilities on different days for caring for the children, making our own little pod um, so that we're both able to parent help support remote learning on days that that's happening, as well as fulfill our professional obligations. That's it for this episode of Tested. I'm Dave DeWitt. Charlie Shelton Orman is our producer. Lindsay Foster Thomas is the executive producer. Thanks for listening.